Now, done with all that. Um, if you are a guest with us this morning, I want to just again say thank you so much for being here. It is uh, such a privilege that you would spend your Sunday morning with us. We hope that this has been an encouraging time for you. I want to let you know that right now, the way that our services are going is a little bit different than what we typically do. Most of the time when I'm preaching, what we like to do is we'll do a series where we typically go through an extended passage of Scripture, whether it's a book of the Bible or whether it's something like the Sermon on the Mount or something like that, and we'll do a deep dive passage by passage each week. That's typically what we do around here. However, for the fall, we're doing something a little bit different, actually a lot of bit different, especially with this morning's message. We're looking at where we are going as a church. We look at at what Scripture teaches us as giving us six basic principles about kind of the purposes of where the church is going and who we're supposed to be, all right? Uh, Jamie, could you go ahead and throw up the six purposes real quick? So our six purposes, as we have articulated them, are exalt God in worship, evangelize the world, equip the saints through discipleship, edify others through ministry and service, encounter God through prayer, and encourage one another through fellowship, okay? Now, those are kind of overarching purposes for who we believe God's calling us to be as a church. So what we're doing this fall is we're taking two weeks to go over each of those purposes. The first week, we're going to look at a a main passage in the Bible that teaches us about that particular purpose. By the way, we're not going to go through them in the order that they're up there. Uh, We're going to go through them in a slightly different order. But the first week, we'll go through what the Bible teaches us about that purpose. And then the second week, what we'll do is look at some really practical tips on how to actually do that thing. So that's where we are this morning. Last week, we started talking about exalting God in worship. So we said that worship is basically this. We we looked at Isaiah chapter 6 last week, and we said that worship kind of involves three different aspects. One, it's reflecting on who God is. Isaiah saw God seated high, lifted up, and and so we're worshiping by reflecting on who God is. The second aspect is that we reflect on who we are. When Isaiah looked and saw who God was, he realized how weak he was, how sinful he was, how limited he was, and was humbled by that realization. And so then the third thing that took place was he responded in repentance and obedience. So the same thing is true for us. We're seeking to be able to worship by seeing who God is and reflecting on that, seeing who we are and reflecting on that, and responding in repentance and obedience. Now, we've been doing that already this morning. That's why we gather together here on Sunday mornings is to be able to sing songs that point us to him, to hear passages of scripture read and to pray and and to seek God's face in worship. But here's what I want us to do this morning as we're thinking through the rest of this. I want us to get accustomed to the idea of worshiping everywhere. I want you to be able to weave worship into the fabric of your everyday life. Every corner of your life can have worship involved in it, okay? So the way we're going to do that this morning, like I said, this is going to be very different from our typical messages, is we're going to just give you some really practical tips, I hope, on how to actually go about weaving worship into every corner of your life, okay? You good with that? That's why we gave you a handout, is because you're going to want to refer back to this as you look at what God's doing in your life and how you can grow in that. So here's what we're doing. Uh, we're looking at three main areas of our life so that we can see what worship looks like in each of those. Now, not all of these will apply equally to everybody, but at the same time, hopefully it's gonna paint a broad picture for you of what it looks like to worship everywhere, okay? So let's dive in. First place that we wanna look at worshiping is we want to know how do we worship when we are alone? Worship alone. Alone. 
Now, this doesn't have to mean necessarily like you have to be by yourself to do this. But in those moments, how do I worship as an individual? Uh, by the way, I know we don't have any pens. I'm sorry for that. Uh, but just, you know, just prick your finger. And no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that, please. Just, I went to this church and they told me to take my notes in my own blood. I don't understand. No, yeah, it's very weird. Okay, so worshiping alone. What do I do in worship by myself? How do I actually go about that? Well, let me just give you some some key points. First off, we want to worship alone by spending time in the Bible, okay? Now, you're gonna hear a lot about the Bible and prayer. It gets really cheesy sometimes because it feels like it's the Sunday school answer, right? What am I supposed to do? Uh, Read the Bible and pray, right? It's kind of like if you go to uh, your doctor and he says, hey, guess what? I got your cholesterol numbers back and uh, you need to do something about it. What's he gonna tell you to do? Eat right, exercise. Now he may tell you what that looks like. It may be a little different, whatever, but over and over again, eat right, exercise. Your sugar's out of whack, eat right, exercise, right? That's just kind of the thing. In the same kind of way, Bible reading and prayer are such foundational disciplines that we come back to them all the time. So the first aspect, by the way, do you need a writing utensil? Ms. Holly Borkert has writing utensils. If you need a pen or a pencil, Vanna White back here with her. Okay, all right, need one here? All right, anybody else? So, So spending time in the Bible is absolutely essential for you to be able to worship by yourself. Why is that? Well, first thing we said was worship is reflecting on who God is. You can't reflect on God if you don't know who he is, right? You can't reflect on what you don't know. You have to have some idea and understanding of who he is to be able to reflect on him. Now, as you read through the Bible, what you're going to be doing is learning more about who God is. In fact, although there's 66 different books in the Bible, all of them join together to tell us this one story. They tell us about a God who loved us so much that he would create us, that the love that existed within God himself overflowed into this world that he created, and he specially made people to have a relationship with him. Now, instead of enjoying that relationship with him, we chose to reject that and chose to do what we wanted to do instead. And the rest of the Bible talks about how we tried to fix it on our own over and over and over again. And God said, that's not going to work. Hey, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Until eventually the time was right when God would come to us himself. He would send Jesus to come take on human flesh, to come into our brokenness. The God we pushed away came to us and walked around among us and he healed and he taught and he did all these wonderful things. And as a result of all of that, he was put to death. Isn't it incredible to think that after all of the amazing things Jesus did, the way that people rewarded him was by killing him. The Bible says that he was put to death on a cross. As he was doing that, he was taking my sin upon himself and your sin upon himself. And as he died, he paid the punishment for all that you and I deserve. All of that time where we pushed God away, he died for that and then was raised from the dead so that we could have new life. And now we walk in light of that resurrection and resurrection and the fact that he's in charge and over everything. We walk in light of all of that, recognizing that he is the one that we're one day looking forward to him coming back. That's, in a broad overview, the story of the Bible. But here's what happens. As you start reading the Bible, you need to understand, we even talked about this in our Discover class this morning, there are different genres in the Bible. Now, some of you are like, I don't even care what that is. Uh, 
Uh, genres are different ways of writing, different literary styles. Think about the difference between a novel and an encyclopedia. Those are two different, two different genres. Um, some of you are young enough that you've never actually seen a physical encyclopedia, okay? Um, you, you didn't have the, I remember I was going to do a report on the moon one time, and my parents had a, a, this world encyclopedia set that lived in a closet somewhere, and it said, we hope to land on the moon within the decade. Um, not a real, I was not that old. I was born in 1983, okay? We'd already been there for a while. But the reality is there's different ways of writing different parts of the Bible. There's different genres. So some of them are like uh, the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. These are epistles. And, and those are really just chock full of this is who God is. This is what you're supposed to do. And it's really easy to figure that out. Then you go to sections like the narrative passages that are in the Old Testament. So like uh, the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel. These tell us accounts of what happened as God was working in different people's lives and how they responded. And it's not often or as often in those passages that you see it directly, this is who God is, or this is who you're supposed to be. But as we look at their examples and as we look at how God's revealed himself and how God responded, we start to draw out a picture of who God is. So if you and I are going to worship alone, the first place we do that is by starting by reading the Bible, by, by spending time in it. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to go into depth on how to go about that this morning. But if you can go on our website at christiansburgbaptist.org and scroll down to the bottom, there's a, a media player. And if you can go back to, I think it's June 12th, there was a message called Our Response Part 2. And in that, we actually spent some time toward the end of that message going over some different practical questions to ask and ways to read the Bible. There's also, I believe, still a handout out on our next steps table, the, the table with the black tablecloth there, that has a, a question set for you to use of how to study the Bible. Excuse me, how to study the Bible. Okay? So get in God's word. That's the first part of worshiping alone. Now, the second part of this is cultivating a habit of prayer. As we're weaving worship through every corner of our life, we've got to understand that, that prayer needs to be a habit. Now, we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about prayer. That's actually the next purpose we're going to cover starting next week. And as we do this, we're looking at cultivating this habit. Uh, as We'll get into what that looks like, but, but today I want you to think about how this habit actually plays out in our daily life. First off, there should be times when you spend an extended period of time in God's presence. We talked about Martin Luther a few weeks ago and the fact that he spent three hours a day in prayer. I'm not saying you need to be Martin Luther, okay? That would be an awesome goal. If any of you have that vibrant of a prayer life, I am so proud of you and envious, truthfully, because I have a difficult time stilling my mind and my heart that long in an extended season of prayer. But you should try to find a time that's a set time on your schedule, on your calendar for sitting down and having an extended time of prayer and reading the Bible there. Uh, I like to do it in the mornings, even though I kind of got to be careful because if I pray too long, I'll fall asleep. Um, you know, it, hey, it's honest, right, guys? It, you know, however, I, I find that when I spend time in the Bible and I spend time personally worshiping and praying in the morning, it sets the tone for the rest of the day. Um, I, it, it changes the way because I'm starting off my day focusing on who God is and what he's called me to do. I'm spending that time in personal worship. But here's what I would say. That extended period of time should not be the only time during the course of the day you pray. Adrian Rogers, one of the great pastors of the last century, used to say, I'm not a man who's often long in prayer, but I'm also not often long without it. In other words, to, to put that not so pithy, it he may not have spent three hours in prayer every morning, but he didn't go three hours without praying. He cultivated this habit of talking to God throughout the day. Pray about everything. 
Cultivate this habit, this practice of prayer. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about how, but see, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, you have this clear command where he just says, pray constantly. Now, that does not mean that you're going to kneel down all day long on your knees with your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're driving, please do not fold your hands and close your eyes. Even if you have a Tesla that's got that's autonomous driving mode, please don't do that, right? Stay alert, stay attentive, but use that drive time as a time to think about what God's doing, reflecting on him and praying constantly throughout the day, okay? Here's a good way to incorporate that habit, by the way. This is the next thing that we see. And that is to develop an admiration of creation. Now, uh, I have told you guys before, I love space. I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid. I was so much of a nerd that when I couldn't, uh, when I figured out that I couldn't fly the shuttle because I, I have contacts and LASIK wasn't a thing back then, I wanted to build the shuttle. I was going to be an aerospace engineer because I thought, well, at least I can build it. That'd be cool, right? I love space. I love staring at the stars. Uh, tomorrow night, Jupiter is the closest it's going to be in 59 years, okay? So check it out if you've got a telescope. Get outside, see what God's made. It doesn't have to be the stars, but recognize that you need to develop a love for the world that God created. See, here's what the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 1. His invisible attributes, that is God's eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. In other words, you can look around you, and as you watch these leaves changing, as you watch the birds at the feeder, as you see all of these things, recognize the beauty and the power and the majesty of the God who could make all of this. Now, don't worship the things he made. That's the mistake we often make. Worship the God who made them. Look at that gorgeous sunset and say, God, thank you so much for this. We've got folks that have just welcomed a new baby and we've got folks that are getting ready to have a baby. Boy, when you hold the, that baby and realize that God knit that child together in his mother's womb, it's this absolutely beautiful moment. Take time to admire creation. I'm not kidding you. I may sound like an old guy, and I guess I am. I'll be 40 next January, but get a bird feeder. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but get a bird feeder, go to Ace Hardware, and buy, there's a KT wild finch uh, seed that, that Miss Yvonne Baker got me started on, and watch the goldfinches flock to it. Watch this. We've got woodpeckers that come to our feeder. We've got all of this diversity that we see. We've got white-breasted nuthatches, and we've got chickadees, and we've got all of these things. And you just sit there. We hung ours right outside the kitchen window. So that while you're standing there doing dishes, you can just look out and see the incredible things that God created. Now, then you look out and see the ugly birds, like sparrows, right? Sparrows are just this brown thing. And then you remember that the Bible teaches us that not even a single sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's notice. You, you look up, and, and like I said, if you go out about 5.30 in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, when it's still light not, light's not out yet, if you look into the southern sky, you can look up and you can see Orion right now. And when you, when you look up and you see Orion, you can think back to the fact that God told Job, can you bind the Pleiades, which is up that way? Can you loose the cords of Orion's belt? You see the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, and he talked about that. God talked to Job all the way back around the time Abraham was, was living about those very same stars. Look at the, the rings around Neptune that were just 
displayed in this gorgeous picture that came out of the James Webb Space Telescope. Look at the hexagonal arrangement of these incredible cyclones on the face of Jupiter that nobody understands why they do what they do. They do what they do because they respond to the God who created them. So cultivate this admiration of creation that points you to the creator himself, okay? Pray about it. Praise him about it. Think about it throughout the day. And then last thing about worshiping alone is make the most of the transition moments. Capitalize on those transition moments. How many of you have one of these? Okay? I'm of the generation where this is all the time in my hand. I get depressed when I see the weekly screen time report that tells me how much time I spent on the stupid box. But here's the thing that I find. Anytime I've got downtime, waiting for a file to download, pull it up, scroll on Instagram. Waiting for a doctor's office, pull it up, check my email. Pull it up, look at a picture of my dog, right? What if instead we took those five-minute breaks, those little transition times, and looked around us in the waiting room to see all of these people that God created or look outside the window and see the beautiful world that God made and took time to worship during those transition moments? Say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for letting me live in a time when we have doctors. Like, I, I had this thing on my eye a few weeks ago, and I was able to walk into a doctor and get an antibiotic for it. Odds are, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that 200 years ago would have killed you because the infection would have gotten into your bloodstream and you just would have died and there was nothing to do about it. But God's allowed us to live in this time. So to take time and say, God, thank you for antibiotics. Thank you for hygiene, for, for water, for capitalize on those transition moments, okay? So if I'm worshiping everywhere, where I'm spending time reading the Bible, capitalizing on those transition moments, cultivating this habit of prayer, admiring the world that God's made, then it's gonna naturally flow out into these other areas. The second thing that we're gonna see is if I'm worshiping alone, then I also need to worship at work. Worship at work. Now, this is kind of an interesting idea because some of you are like, oh, but Sean, I, I work in a secular environment and I can't say anything about Jesus or I'm going to get in trouble or, well, we'll talk about that in a second. There are, first off, ways for you to worship at work without saying anything. The first thing that I would say that, that's a way that we do that, that one of the ways that, that we do this is by doing good work. Doing good work. As a follower of Christ, you ought to be the best employee for your company. You ought to be the best boss, best manager, whatever it is, whatever you do, you should be the best. You should work hard. You should work with integrity. You should do good work. Why? Well, Paul gave this instruction to the, the enslaved people who lived in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter six, he said, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. You see, knowing that whatever each one, each, or excuse me, whatever good each one does, slave or free, he'll receive his back from the Lord. Go back a verse. As to the Lord and not to people. Your boss is not your boss. Your boss is Jesus. You don't answer to the board. You don't answer to whatever the org structure is. Your boss is Jesus. 
So one of the ways you worship him is by doing good work. There's a, a quote that's wrongly attributed to Martin Luther. It wasn't Luther who said it. He said some similar things about vocation, but he said a, a Christian or whoever it was that originally said it, a Christian shoemaker doesn't make Christian shoes by putting a little cross on the sole somewhere. He makes Christian shoes by making the best shoes that he can. Because in doing so, he's honoring Christ. What we're striving to do is do good work, things that make difference for people, that make lives better. By investing ourselves in our job to provide for our family, to reflect the character and nature of a God who works, right? God created the world. God sustains the world. He also rests, which is a different topic for a different day. But at the same time, he's a God who works. So we reflect his character and nature and worship by doing good work at our job. That also, by the way, students, uh, that means class too, right? That means in your dorm rooms. That means... You know, this work is bigger than just the idea of doing good work as far as my nine to five. It also involves how I take care of my house, how I take care of whatever responsibilities I have. I want to do good work, whether I'm a stay-at-home mom, whether I'm a CEO, whether I'm a student, whatever it is, this is the thing that God has set in front of me, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability for his name and his glory as an act of worship. By the way, that's why I've said before, you can worship more at work tomorrow than I can up here if I'm wrong. See, I could stand up here and I could sit here and say, man, I have got a killer message for today. Best thing I have ever written. And I could deliver it and you might agree. You can come up and say, Sean, that's the best sermon I have ever heard in my life. I am just humbled and awed by your oratory skill. Now, I doubt anybody's ever gonna say that. But if I did that so that you would look at me and say, wow, what a great preacher he is, I did that for my glory and it wasn't an act of worship. If, however, tomorrow you're a housekeeper at a hotel and you sit there and say, God, I've got these rooms that need to be cleaned today so that when folks come in, whether that's for work or whether that's for some kind of trip, they can come in and they can rest and relax and know that their room is safe and secure. So I want to pour everything I can into making sure that these rooms are in good condition for these people to come as a way to reflect your goodness and your care. You can clean hotel rooms for the glory of God better than I preach if I preach for me. Make it an act of worship, whatever it is you do. Now, the second aspect of this is as you're going through your workday, talk to God about your coworkers. Part of cultivating that habit of prayer means that you're going to be praying while you're at work. Uh, I think a great example of what this habit looks like is Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter one, he has this extended prayer that he offers. And then in Nehemiah chapter two, you find him at work and he doesn't have long to pray, but he prays real quick, probably a sentence prayer in his head, and then goes on with what he has to do. In the same kind of way, talk to God about your coworkers. We saw this Wednesday night. We had somebody who was asking us to, to pray for one of their difficult time. Spend time asking God to work and move in their hearts. You, you see somebody and their, their life isn't going well, pray for them. Take the time to actually talk to God about your coworkers, okay? They, as you do this, as you're going through that, what you're gonna see is that, that eventually that'll hopefully open up into opportunities to talk to your coworkers about God. You see, we take time to talk to God about our coworkers, but we also take time to talk to our coworkers about God. Now, as we go through that, immediately you're sitting there saying, Sean, I, there's no way I could just share the gospel with my coworkers. I can't because of my position or, or because if you knew who I was working for or working with, there is a time where you probably will need to take the boldness to be able to sit there and share the gospel. 
Uh, I, I mean, I had an opportunity. Uh, I used to substitute at the high school. And there was a day where there was a young girl's funeral. And the administration hadn't acknowledged this girl's death. And it was really bad. And the funeral was going on during this class of, of young ladies that I was teaching. They were all talking about, they were reading the obituary. It was really heavy. Now, as a substitute teacher, I am not allowed to present the gospel at Christiansburg High School. I couldn't not do it. I'm sorry. Now, there's other times I don't do as well, but that time I said, guys, close the door. I got to talk for a minute. <laughs> and I just shared the gospel with them. There's times you go out on a limb and you do it. But it's more than that. It's talking about your relationship with God with your coworkers. It's when your coworker says, man, can you imagine... It's so horrific what they're finding out of Ukraine as the Russians pull out and they're seeing all these people who are killed. I just don't understand how this could happen. And you sit there and say, man, I, I don't understand it either, but I'm so grateful that there's a God out there who knows what's going on and who's in control. Now, that may make things awkward. It may. But if you're worshiping regularly on your own, it's just gonna come out in your conversation. I mean, you guys know we got a dog and I just talk about Charlie because he's a big part of our life now, whether we like it or not. <laughs> you just talk about things that are part of your life. You talk about your kids. You talk about your spouse. So why wouldn't you talk about your God? Oh, man, I have no idea how I'm going to get all this done before this deadline. Yeah, man, I don't either. But, man, I'm praying that God will give us the strength to get through it. And that's it. Maybe that's it for today. But here's what that does. That establishes you're a praying person. So then on Monday, they come back and say, Sean, over the weekend, um, man, my wife and I, we had, it was bad. It was real bad. She's not talking to me. I, you know, I don't know about God, but uh, could you pray for me? Yeah, man, absolutely. I'd be honored to. Because as I'm praying for God to give me those opportunities, as I'm cultivating this act of worship, then part of that worship is gonna be, I pour that out into the people around me, even if that's at work. Now, yeah, sometimes it may be a full-on gospel presentation where you have the opportunity to share who Jesus is with them, but it should be cultivated out of just a daily, this is part of my conversation in my life. That's capitalizing on those transition moments. So we worship alone, reading the Bible, by praying, by by capitalizing on those transition moments and seeing what God's done in creation. And then that plays itself out into work by the fact that I'm gonna do good work to, to honor and glorify God as I talk about God to my coworkers and talk to my coworkers about God, all right? Now, third area I wanna look at is what does it look like to worship at home? What's it look like to worship at home with our families? I almost wonder if this may not be the most difficult for some of us, especially us men. You know, a lot of you guys, uh, you know, I'm kind of a weirdo because I am way too open about everything. Um, a lot of you guys are a lot more reserved than me and you don't like to share things. You don't like to talk about feelings. You, don't, you just don't go there. That's, you know, you're more stoic about it and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be, but it's not always a bad thing, all right? For you to think about talking about like this intimate relationship you have with God, with your family, scares you to death. But can I just challenge you and encourage you, especially, you know, we've got 25 men that are going through stepping up this round. Um, guys, this is your responsibility in the home. I'm just gonna unequivocally say, you need to be the one leading out of this. You may not be comfortable with that. You may not want to do that. You may not feel equipped to do that, but it's your job to set the pace. 
you're the thermostat, right? A, a, you know, a thermometer just tells you what the temperature is in the room. The thermostat sets the temperature. You're the one who's to set the temperature spiritually in your home. How do we do that? Well, there's a great passage that talks about it. God gave this to the Israelites back in Deuteronomy chapter six. He says, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. So dad and mom and spouse, uh, as you're doing this, it first starts with you having God's word in your heart, which is what we talked about, about worshiping alone. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit down in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. God was giving Israel a command that they were to make sure that all of their families, everywhere they looked, were reminded of the fact that there is one God and they are to serve him and love him with everything they have and are. That was what they were commanded to do. So in the same kind of way, you and I are commanded to look for opportunities to do that with our families. Part of worshiping at home then is for us to, number one, pray together. Pray together. Now, as we think about it, the easiest way for you to get into the habit of praying together is praying over meals. Now, some of you guys grew up with a dad who said the exact same thing over every single meal, and it was just this rote thing, and you were just sitting there with the fork ready to stab your meat or whatever so you could start eating. It didn't mean anything. It was just rote, okay? Don't let it become that. But take time before the meal to stop and say, God, you've given us food. You realize that the, the UN recently said, I think that there's 245 million people around the globe who are hurtling towards starvation because of the droughts and the war in Ukraine. 245 million people. You realize it is only by the grace of God that you're not one of those. It's only by the grace of God that you have food in your pantry today, food in your refrigerator, and hopefully money in your wallet that if you wanted to, you could stop by McDonald's on the way home. That is only by the grace of God. There is no reason you weren't born in sub-Saharan Africa and sitting here thinking about how you're gonna feed your kids and not starve to death yourself. Only by the grace of God, he allowed you to be born here. So thank him for that. Dad, again, you may not be comfortable praying out loud, get there. There's no easy way to say it. You just have to do it. The more you do it, the more comfortable you will become. Take time and say, God, we want to thank you because you've given us this food. We want to thank you for the person who fixed it. We want to thank you for your grace in giving it. And if that's it, in Jesus' name, amen. Start praying together. Then, like we were talking about those transition moments, start finding other transition moments. I have the privilege of taking my kids to school most mornings. Pray with your kids as you're taking them to school. Pray with your spouse before you leave for the day. Pray with your spouse as you lay down at night. Just find times to pray. One of your kids comes home and they're upset about something, pray with them about it. Pray together. Make it a part of your family life. That's part of worshiping together. Now, the next thing is reading the Bible together. Read the Bible together. As we talk about reading the Bible together, again, some of you are like, bro, there's no way. I'm not doing that. Let me give you some ways to go about doing this. It would be great if you just sit down with a passage over dinner or something like that. Um, but you, you know, not all of us are going to do that. I have a hard time getting that going with my family. I'll be honest, all right? The preacher? Yes, the preacher. Okay, there you go. You just figured it out. I'm human if you haven't figured that out before now. All right, but you should be taking time to read the Bible together. Just like your personal habits and with your coworkers, you make the most of these things by actually taking some time to do this. In your handout, you'll notice a list of possible options for you and ways to get started doing that. 
The first one there is directed towards couples. Uh, If you're looking to be able to get into the Bible together, here are some devotions you can use as a way to do that. Most of these devotions have like one passage and then there's a section to read about it, maybe a question or two to talk about. Excuse me. There are a lot more resources out there than what would fit on this sheet. So you can ask Mike and Linda Montgomery. Uh, They were asking some friends of theirs who helped pull together these kind of resources. You can ask them and they can help you to find those resources as well. To run through them real quickly, the ones that for couples, one thing you'll notice is none of these are actually for couples. Uh, They're just for adults and you can do them together. Uh, Unfortunately, I found a lot of the couples devotions and I'm sorry, if you found one that you like, please let me know because a lot of the couples devotions are just kind of meh, just being honest. Um, There is a good daily email you can subscribe to from Family Life called I Do Every Day. I do get that one every day and that is a good one. Um, But Looking through this, uh, New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp, fantastic author. I've not particular, I've not personally done this one, but I had friends that highly recommended New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. Other friends recommended Truth for Life by Alistair Begg. Um, he's a popular pastor up in Ohio, and he's Scottish, which makes it more fun to listen to. Uh, but he's put together his uh, some of his messages into a devotion guide for you. If you like a little bit older stuff, um, Morning and Evening and My Utmost for His Highest. Morning and Evening is the one that I personally use most often. I like old dead guys sometimes when I read them. So uh, Spurgeon, I like the way he wrote. So you can find the classic editions that are uh, the old dead guys and the way that it's written in very archaic. He lived in the mid-1800s. So it's a little tricky to read if you're not comfortable with it. There are updated editions of both of these, of Morning and Evening, and there's an updated edition of My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Those are both fantastic uh, devotions just to give you a little verse to go off of, something to chew on, something to talk about together, okay? What about if if it's a family thing? Because, you know, sometimes the adult devotions don't really hit where the kids are. Well, let me give you some some tips. Um, Parents, moms and dads, grandparents, as you have kids around you, First off, if you've got preschoolers, I would encourage you to look at, and I meant to bring these with me, I'm sorry I didn't, um, The Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. I would encourage anybody to read through that. You may feel weird doing it, but it is a great storybook Bible that gives you kind of a broad overview of the meta narrative of scripture, and it's written really, really well. The pictures look weird. It's a weird art style, just be honest, but the stories themselves are absolutely beautiful, and it's geared more towards your preschoolers. So kind of going through one of those stories, make that your bedtime story you read at night. As they get a little bit older, like six to 12-year-olds, there's a new one that just came out. My son Caleb and I just worked through this one, and it is The Biggest Story Bible Storybook, which is a terrible title, but it makes sense if you know some of the other books that this guy has written. This one is a really comprehensive one. It has 104 Bible stories in it. And it's geared more towards like six to 12-year-olds. It's a little bit more mature and it covers a whole lot of scripture. Really good one. I, like I said, just finished going through that with Caleb about two weeks ago. <clears throat> and then the third one that we mentioned there is one that Holly has actually used in our children's Sunday school class at one point. Um, there's two different versions of it. There's long story short and old story new. Long story short short is the Old Testament. uh, Old story new is the New Testament. And this one is a great one if you're looking for something more discussion-oriented. You'll take a passage of scripture and it gives you a, a reading and questions for five days of the week. And it's got great questions. You can do it in about 10 minutes and it's good enough that you can kind of do it through different ages. I've done it with our girls before. Um, <clears throat> That one's really good and easy for you to get into if you're trying to do something more discussion-oriented, okay? So 
Just some resources to get you started on reading the Bible together. There's absolutely nothing wrong, by the way, of reading through a Bible reading plan together. I would love for you to do that. Just get into God's word, talk to each other about what you see. That's part of worshiping at home. Last thing, capitalize on those transition moments with your kids. Talk about God throughout the day. Just like with your personal habits, just like with coworkers, make the most. Find those teachable moments where you can gently or sometimes more strongly, depending on the nature of the correction, uh, weave into the conversation who God is and what he's done. You just make it a continual part of what you're talking about. That's what Deuteronomy talks about when it said that we're to talk about them as we go along the way, as we rise up, as we lay down. All throughout the day, just be constantly talking about who God is and all he's done, okay? Weave worship into the fabric of your life, whether that's alone, whether that's at your workplace or at your home with your family. Now, as we do that, by the way, remember, we're doing that because we have a model in Jesus Christ. Remember in Mark chapter one, the disciples were looking for Jesus and they couldn't find him because he'd gone aside by himself to pray. He was modeling for them that there were times when you need to get aside and and pray and spend time focusing on who God is. We see him go throughout teaching and talking about God everywhere, using fig trees as an illustration about what you, how to know when it's time for Jesus to come back. You see all of these stories that he tells, all the parables that he weaves, all the ways that he's working and constantly pointing people to Christ. We find him praying in big ways there in the garden, there before he's crucified. And then we see him even praying on the cross as he asks God to forgive those who killed him. We have a model in Christ, and he is also the one that we're worshiping. All of this is focusing on the God who created us, the God who sustains us, the God who loves us, the God who is worthy of everything we can be and do and are. So we want to weave worship into the fabric of our lives because he is worth it. Okay? All right. Now, I know that's very different. So let's just pause for just a minute. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. Maybe you need to keep your eyes open and look over that list. Remember last week we said that worship is reflecting on who God is, reflecting on who we are, and responding in obedience. So go through that list and ask God, what's one thing? And and I know there may be 18 things on there that you want to do, but what's the one thing you need to do first? See, I'm bad about it. I'll sit here and I'll come up with 16 things that need to get done, and I won't do any of them because there's just too much. So what's the one? Is it that you need to set aside that time for prayer and studying God's word? Is it that you need to start being more open at work? Is it that you need to start praying with your family where you never have before? What is it you need to do to weave worship through the fabric of your life? How do you worship everywhere you are? I'm gonna give you just a minute there where you are, your head bowed, your eyes closed. Ask God to give you the strength to make that one step whatever that next step is for you. Well, Father, we thank you that you are a God who is worthy of worship. We thank you that we've had time to be able to get together to worship you this morning through song, through your word, through prayer. So as we go out from here today, let this not be the last time we worship you this week. Help us to be able to worship you throughout the day, whether that's in private with you and focusing on who you are through your word and through prayer and through the world you have made. 
God, would you help us to, to stop picking up our phone and turn into Instagram or Snapchat or wherever we may go and instead turn to you to fill those moments because you're worthy of it. As we do, would you allow that to impact the way that we work? Would we go to work this week, whether it's writing papers, whether it's going to class, whether it's cleaning a house, whether it's cleaning our rooms, whether it, whatever it may be, whatever our job, our task ahead of us this week may be, help us to do good work in it. Help us to be talking to you about those around us, to see them through your eyes and, and lift them up to you as you would desire. And then God, give us the opportunity to tell them how awesome you are. Help it to just pour out and overflow out of the conversations that we have. Then as we think about coming back home, would you help us to pray together, to read your word together, to talk about you all the time because you are worthy. Thank you for what Jesus has done. If there's anybody here who's never made that decision to follow you, I pray that through what we've shared today that you would draw them to yourself they would see that this great God who loved them and died for them and was raised wants a relationship with them, and that they would trust you today. Help us to go out of here worshiping this week as you see fit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.